Hey, welcome to Lakeview Sermon of the Week. We're so grateful to have you here, and we hope you enjoyed today's message. I'll tell you what, we are going to, we're cutting new ground. And uh, we're going to cut new ground. And uh, God isn't preparing a place as much as he's preparing a people. And so God's wanting to do some surgery on us. But the thing about when God cuts, it's healing. And uh, so, Lord, would you just cut us today? Let our hearts be marked, branded, to never go back. Never, never. Never going back. Some of us have to be good at giving God our tomorrow. Because some of us have created cultures that are safety nets, but they look humble. Because we'll say, well, I don't want to say I'm not going to do that again, because what if I do that again? But see, you've not even given God your tomorrow, so how does he have your today? And some of us need to just say, no, I'm not going back. I'm not going back. And when Satan says, oh, be careful. Don't say that. Don't you trust God too much now. You know how you are. You tell him to shut up. Tell him to shut up. That if God's given you all things pertaining to godliness... That's what the scripture says, then he's given you all things pertaining to godliness. So quit falling into your own trap of your unbelief. Give him your tomorrows. Give him your future. It's hard to give God your future. Uh, Because most of the time when we're giving him anything, it's when we're down to our last. (laughs) Seems like it's easier to give it to him. But what would happen if we gave him our first and our best. Wow. Revival might break out. I'm not sure. Man, wasn't worship so good? I was trying to make my way from this side to this side and somebody was in a washing machine cycle and I tried to time that cycle and then they switched up and got into another cycle and they hit me. Man, I can't even cross from here to here without getting karate chopped by a praise. No, but I, I prayed for a church like this that would uh, got socks going to inmates. The two adoptions got to dedicate a kid this, this morning. Got outreaches going on, different places, and got a homeless Christmas party coming up. Man. So thank you all for being part of my dream and helping me to see it. Love y'all. Thank y'all. Well, we better dive in. Matthew chapter 13. Uh, Everybody get your device or... 
paperback, <laughs> leather edition, bonded leather, whatever you got. Unless it's a Quran or something, get that out of here. Don't, don't open that thing in here. But any Bible you got. Man. Matthew 13, verse 44. This chapter is one of the most important chapters in all the scripture because Jesus told the parable of the sower in chapter 13 and his disciples didn't understand it. And he said, if you don't understand this one, how are you gonna understand anything else? So there's something unique to this chapter in Matthew 13 where Jesus is pairing or coupling two parables together to explain a theme where the disciples and us, because we're disciples too, <laughs> that we would understand some things about the nature of the kingdom of God. So he starts out with the first two parables is the, a longer parable. It's called the seed and the sower. So he says the kingdom of heaven is like, he uses this metaphoric simile language. Which one's like or as? Is that simile? Simile, thank you, James. Uh, had to get the CPA to help me with grammar. What's going on here? Okay. Um, uses this simile language so that we could understand uh, some concepts about what God's doing in the earth. And he says that it's like a, a man going out and he's sowing seeds. And this seed hits a certain kind of soil. And one soil it hits, uh, it doesn't grow at all. Uh, the devil comes in, gets it, bird comes and gets it, snatches it from a pathway. Another kind of seed, it goes into uh, rocky soil and it does good for a little bit, but when the elements get to be a little bit hot, that seed shrivels and its potential's gone. Another seed falls and grows up pretty good, but for lack of attention through weeding and allowing the purposes of God and conviction of God and the community of God to do what they're supposed to do, but by isolation, it gets choked out by the cares of this world. And then another seed falls on good soil, and that seed produces lots of fruit. Yeah. So we got parables about seed going into dirt, and then we have another parable to help us understand that parable. Of about the wheat in the field, the wheat in the weeds. And um, these parables are to explain the nature of the kingdom of God. What's the quality of it? How does it grow? How does it flourish? What is God doing? The next set of parables is the mustard seed and the leaven. In this parable, Jesus talks about the mustard seed being the smallest of all the seeds, yet produces a tree where birds are nesting and man finds shade and there's provision. But it starts out really, really small. And if you've ever seen a mustard seed, it's incredibly, incredibly small. He then couples that parable with another parable called the parable of the leaven. And in that parable, he talks about a little leaven gets released into this lump of dough, and the part of the dough ball rises 
not where the leaven goes, but the leaven works its way through the entire dough ball and the whole ball rises. Leaven is always used in scripture to talk about sin. And so the Old Testament reality is that a little bit of sin's gonna ruin the whole batch. But the New Testament reality is God is the leaven. And when a little bit of God is introduced into the earth, it's gonna begin to take over the entire lump of dough. That when Jesus became a zygote, Google it, don't you even ask. The size of a pinhead and entered into space and time. That little bit of leaven is gonna leaven the entire world. The unlikeliness and the pervasiveness of the kingdom. Because it starts so small. A pregnant teen that's not even married yet. Now, couldn't God have waited a little bit? He just has this thing about timing. That Born into a poor family of construction workers. And that's the means that God uses to change the entire earth. So that on every continent, well, maybe not Antarctica, but penguins maybe are rejoicing in the Lord. On every continent, maybe not Antarctica, everyone is proclaiming the name of Jesus today or yesterday, depending on what time zone you're in. In Australia, it's tomorrow, so I mean, who knows what's going on. But... We need to call them from the future and say, hey, are y'all still worshiping God on there? What's going on? We're in the past. Oh, dude, I'm sorry. You know what? It's a great, I'm in the best mood I've been in a long time. So I'm just, I'm going to have fun at your expense. But God entered time and space in Jesus and a 30-year-old construction worker is murdered the worst death you could die in one moment in one place and the entire cosmos is in the process of being redeemed. <laughs> A small and unlikely seed planted in the earth. But a seed with much power. Now in verse 44 through 46, Jesus begins to explain a different reality and that is how valuable the kingdom is and what you should be willing to sacrifice to obtain that reality. So Matthew chapter 13, verse 44. The kingdom of heaven, a little note here. Sometimes you see the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God. It means the same thing. Sometimes the Jewish people, out of reverence for the name of God, wouldn't even utter it. So they would use the word like heaven instead of Yahweh, because they felt like that name was too holy to utter. So if you ever read kingdom of heaven or kingdom of God, same thing, same thing. Some would try to differentiate those realities, but they're, they're not different realities. Matthew written to the Jewish audience is going to obviously lean more into the kingdom of heaven. So the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. 
that when a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. Hmm. Now, this immediately begins to cut at all our sensibilities. Because in a human way of thinking, um, this is what we would probably do in this situation. If I'm going through a field and I find a treasure, probably going to do one of these. And hope I ain't on that show, what would you do show where they <laughs> hidden camera. And I'm going to, probably most of you, Annie, would get the treasure and say, woohoo, found it. That isn't what the kingdom of heaven is like. It's not a theft or a robbery. And the reason it's not a robbery is because you can't steal something that's already yours. <sighs> I, gotta, I gotta hold back because I'm not there yet, but I'm, I'm trying. I'm trying so hard. Okay, stop. Pace yourself, Matt. Um, so, the next thing we would, might would do is we'd find that treasure, find the owner of the field. This would make us feel a little bit more uh, Boy Scoutish. Uh, find the treasure in the field, strike up a deal with the guy that owns the field, and then just buy the treasure. But that's not what the kingdom of God's like either. That the kingdom of God is like a man who finds a treasure in the field, covers it back up, goes and strikes a deal and buys the entire field. So the kingdom of heaven is not just interested in the treasure, is God bought the dirt too. <sighs> that God didn't just look down and redeem the part of you that you think is potential and honorable. That God came down and bought all your dirt too. That he bought the whole field. I tell people, man, God's the worst businessman that's ever lived. <laughs> or maybe he's the best. We just haven't caught up yet. Yeah, yeah. So the kingdom of heaven is like someone who bought it all. Not with a mission to flip, but with a mission to own. <laughs> Now, the next parable talks about the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant that went out and found a pearl, a perfect pearl, a pearl of great price. And this merchant 
sold everything he had, all his stock, all his safety net, all his livelihood, and went in on buying this one pearl to never sell it again. Now, if you know a merchant, a merchant's trying to get something at a cheap rate, mark it up 40% and then sell it to somebody. But when the merchant found this, he sold it all in order to have something of that kind of value. So in other words, the kingdom of heaven, this pearl of great price, can't fit neatly into our categories and allow us to say in our same system of merchanthood. That when we find this pearl of great price, Suddenly, everything is upended and the merchant's life is ruined because he can never buy and sell again because he's found something that he could never part with. This is what the kingdom of heaven is like. It's this valuable. And when you find a pearl like this, it'll make you do some crazy things. I was on my way to becoming the next Gordon Ramsay. It's on my way. I was on my way. But somewhere along the way, I stubbed my toe on a pearl in a field. And when that box came open and I saw that pearl, suddenly all my plans and all my desires and everything that I'd ever thought that I'd wanted suddenly didn't compare to the grandeur and the beauty of that treasure and that pearl. So you do the only logical thing when you find something like that. Sell it all. You burn it down. (laughs) Burn it all to the ground. That you'd never look back again. When you find something that beautiful. This is what finding the kingdom of heaven's like. It's like you finding this pearl of great price. Now, I'm going to help some of you here because I know when I'm saying pearls, you went to grandma's jewelry box in your mind. I know you did. You went there. But you're going to have to understand something about the ancient world. Why would Jesus use pearls? Well, at the height of the Roman Empire, pearls were the most grandest, valuable jewelry there was. When the Roman Empire had kind of hit its pinnacle, these pearls were were sought after. 
And you gotta remember, Jesus is talking to a Jewish audience. Jewish audiences were not seafaring people. The biggest thing they had to uh, ocean was a lake called the Sea of Galilee. <laughs> like, that's why Jonah, when he wanted to get away from God, where'd he go? Mediterranean. <laughs> no way God lives there. <laughs> the ocean's chaos. That's where the Spirit of God hovered and brought up the dry land where we could actually live. No way God's in the chaos. Yeah, I'm going to get on a boat. Oops, God's there too. <laughs> so you see this picture of Jonah being thrown into the boat overboard. Well, we better just put a pin in that. We'll come back. But you got to remember, in Jesus' day, there wasn't fancy scuba equipment. Get the picture in your mind of these guys with a knife in their teeth. Eyes in salty water. Wearing nothing but a diaper. Hey, we going to have ancient eyes or what? Come on now. And these would have been primarily found in the Indian Ocean, away from home. Hmm. And to find one perfect pearl, you'd have to comb through 10,000 oysters. So if you found, let's try to do some math here. Let's say you found six oysters every day and didn't take a day off. Be a total of like five or six years before you found one. Perfect pearl. That pearls were of such a price that there's historical writings that Roman emperors and generals funded whole military campaigns on one of their mother's earrings that was a pearl earring. There's folklore that says when Cleopatra in Egypt had Mark Antony from Rome and wanted to impress him and tell him that the wealth of Egypt is more than you could even understand or comprehend that she had him over for a dinner. And when the plates were set down before them, and the covers were on the plates. When they lifted the cover off of Cleopatra's plate, there was one pearl. And she told them they were going to have the most expensive dinner that you could ever have. She crushed up the pearl, put it in a goblet of wine, drank it back, and said, Ah. I don't know if that was historical, but I, she might have. She might have. We don't know. We're, we're speculating at this point. But. Um, and then Mark Antony lifted the cover of his plate, and it was another pearl. He pushed the plate forward and said, you win. I can't eat anything that precious. Value in that time? About nine million bucks. 
right down the hatch. So when Jesus could have used anything in the world to explain the value of the kingdom of God, he says, no, it's a pearl. And you know what I've found about God, our most generous king, is that these pearls, he's very generous with them. So when we go back to the top of the chapter and we see that the kingdom of heaven is like a man sowing seed, and that seed is the DNA of Jesus, because every seed that is God's word has within it the ability to make you into that image. The Greek word for seed, are you ready? Sperma. I'm just going to stop there. So if you want to know whose image you're being made into, whose words have you been ingesting and listening to? So you can't separate Jesus from his word. So that means his word is like seed, but that seed has got the value of a pearl. So instead of a picture of a farmer throwing out seeds, maybe we should have an image of a jeweler throwing out pearls. Protect yourself, because I'm not liable for any damages. Get off your phone. There, hey, these girls right here, they, they'll take some pearls. There you go, Miss May. Here you go, Ryan. No, sorry, man, it's going up. Hey, sound booth, they need pearls, don't you think? Don't you think? Uh, just for that, you get more. What do y'all think? Oh, you, hey, y'all turn around and face the front now. Y'all can't look what's going on back here. <laughs> Is it okay to laugh a little bit in church? I think it's okay. Here, here you go. You guys look new. I'm going to take it easy on y'all. New folks get a little bit easier. Richard, you've been here a long time. You're going to just get it right on. Charlie, you just, just for spite, you're getting a big old handful over here. Down to my last. Down to my last. Oh, man, don't you hate it when you're down to your last? Aren't you glad? Aren't you glad the Lord never gets down to his last? I wish I had a fanny pack with some more in there. Miss Doris. Gary. That's how valuable you guys are. Thank you. Yeah, that's right. That the Lord isn't just throwing out here, Mr. Are you ready? 
that the Lord, get off your phone. I'm going to put them down your throat like that. You're going to be doing that. Acting like he's looking up scriptures over here. David. I don't know what that is. Might be the air conditioning. But um, I didn't get the front row down here, did I? Here. Don't wince. It's okay. These are valuable pearls, guys. <laughs> Y'all wouldn't believe the diving I had to do. To... It's, really, it's really amazing. Um, that Jesus isn't just sowing seeds. He's throwing out the potential of who he is to us every time. But do you know what happens to us when we don't? Oh, I didn't even get the back area back here, Brian. Here you go. Here you guys go. Hey, now, this is more important than that candy cane. Get this. There you go. Oh, goldfish. I like goldfish. I'm going to sit back here for now on. You got the goldfish? You go, Brian. Yeah. Yeah. Monica, come on. Be nice. All right, now, you can't clog up the aisles. Love this guy. Um, so Jesus is not just throwing out seed, he's throwing out pearls. Now, if those were real, no, let's put it in context. If those were diamonds, real diamonds, how long do you think the line would be? Y'all would have been diving. Y'all would have made them divers with a sword in their mouth look like preschool. There would have been fights broke out. It would have made Black Friday look like a calm, a calm deal. But when God's word gets thrown out, that's more valuable than that. We do like that. because we've misinterpreted the value. That unlike the merchant that sold it all to have it, we want to slowly ease a pearl into our life at a time and not disrupt our current life in the name we've been trying to build, not the name that God's trying to be built in the earth. So we treat the pearls like swine. And we wonder why God doesn't cast them. That if we want to know who we are and what quality we are of, what do you do when the word of God gets tossed out? 
What do you do when you get a word from the Lord? What do you do to try to posture your heart to get a word from the Lord? That the pursuit Jesus is talking about here looks a lot like a diver going to the depths of an ocean. With salt in the eyes, the dangers of tide. And if you're looking at it with ancient eyes, guess where Leviathan is? Chaos creatures in that body of water. I'm not going under. <laughs> it's my job to stay on top. <laughs> But what if under is where the treasure is? That God would spend his time calling us into chaos <laughs> because that's where the treasure is. <laughs> it's not cruel and unusual punishment. He's trying to show you where the X on the map is. And it's generally in the middle of chaos. <laughs> it's why narrow is the way and few that find it. God didn't try to keep anybody out. He's generous with these things. But the path is so frightening to us that when we count the cost, we turn back. And we end up giving money to fund other people's dreams instead of finding our own. <sighs> yeah. So the Lord's kingdom is it's valuable. So valuable. It's a story of two missionaries that came out of the Moravian prayer movement. The Moravians were being persecuted and secured some land in Germany and started a prayer meeting. And it's called in history the 100-year prayer meeting. I think if we were to start one, we would call it the 100-second prayer meeting. There's one 100 years. And a whole community of people gathered around this community and said, we are going to pray 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And that prayer meeting lasted for 100 years nonstop. But how many of you know, uh, have you ever tried to just pray an hour? You kind of run out of things, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> and... Uh, it didn't take them long to run out of things to say. <laughs> so what they did was they started getting maps and finding out where the countries were all over the world. And they started to pray for the entire world to be touched <clears throat> with the glory of God. But God's got this funny thing. He'll get you to pray about something and then he'll push you off the diving board into the thing that he put on your heart to be praying about. 
So these men didn't reckon on the fact they were going to pray for these countries and God was going to burn a burden on their heart for these countries and then he was going to turn around and send them after they plowed the way with prayer. So the Lord began to put this island on a couple of young men missionaries in their heart in their 20s. And on this island was African slaves that were harvesting sugar cane. So they asked those who had the rights to the island and said, hey, can we come? We want to minister. And they said, no, no, you can't come. We don't want you disrupting our system. So the missionaries said, can we sell ourselves into slavery and then would you let us go? And two men in their 20s sold themselves into slavery that a people could hear and know about the value of the pearl that they had found. And on their way, Story goes that on their way as they're on the shore, the family's on the shore and they're leaving the boat. The family's weeping and waving and the two men shout back to the shore. Is not the lamb worthy of the reward of his suffering? Men in their 20s had their whole life. Why? They found a pearl. They found a pearl. Messes you up when you find this pearl. To make you do things that don't make sense to the principalities and powers and the Babylonian systems don't understand it. Because Babylon just wants a prophet. The kingdom of God just wants people. Thank you for those forehand claps. Coming up against your kingdom with a pearl today, I guess. It's a missionary by the name of John Patton. And 19 years earlier, an Englishman sailed by this chain of islands in the South Pacific, and they reminded him of the Hebrides Islands in Scotland, and so he named them New Hebrides. And when they found this chain of islands and found tribes on them, a couple of men from London as missionaries came to come onto the island to spread the gospel message. They got in a little rowboat and were making their way with their supplies to the shore of the island and a tribe of cannibals came out within minutes, killed them and started eating them. The ship pulled out and that report went. And that report hit the ears of a man named John Patton. 
And John Patton made the statement. He said, God must have given us that island because God doesn't let any blood shed without it purchasing a place. So 19 years later, John Patton says, I'm going back to that island. A guy pulled him aside, well-meaning. Pulled him aside and said, if you go to that island, you're going to get eaten by cannibals. Good idea. Said, if you're going to that island, you're going to get eaten by cannibals. And he said, sir, it won't be long till you'll be put in the ground and you'll be eaten by worms. What's it to you if I choose to get eaten by cannibals? (laughs) And he went and saw revival in that chain of islands in the South Pacific. Some of you hear that story and you say, that's crazy. It's only crazy because you've not found the pearl. When you find this pearl, something within you begins to pull you out of a system of Babylon and begin to make you into the person God's called you to be. And suddenly for God, no sacrifice matters anymore. It's just about him and his glory. When you find a pearl, do you know the kind of places I've been to? (laughs) Willingly, with great joy. Sober, but with great joy. (sighs) When you find a pearl like this, these other things just don't really matter. That I've been in a mud hut in the mountains of Mexico and I've been on Cabo on the beach and I'll take the mud hut every day, all day. I'll say, Matt, you're so spiritual. It's spiritual. It's the pearl. It's him. It's got nothing to do with the quality of person you are. It's who has your ear and your heart. Who's got your ear and your heart? This thing's about grace. Spiritual gifts are grace. Not earned. You didn't earn that. That was given. It's fruit that's produced, not gifts. And you didn't even have much to do with that, just to be real honest. This is a mighty hand clap. I like that. I like that. Didn't have Stacy in here, so I had to. Um, man, we've made a mess, haven't we? But that's kind of what the kingdom of God does. 
it kind of surrounds you with treasure and puts you in a place of position to make a decision on what you're going to do with this generous king. So I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, okay, Matt, it's a generous king, but you're asking me to give it all. <laughs> well, I thought you'd never ask. <laughs> that maybe on these parables... So what my dad always says is that the street runs both ways. And that when I look at the theme of Scripture, when I see who really purchased and redeemed anybody, it was God doing the purchasing and the redeeming much more than it was me buying the kingdom of God. That when I see the theme of Scripture and I see things like 1 Corinthians 6, verse 20, that talks about you being bought with a price, therefore glorify God with your body and spirit. But that tells me I was purchased. So when I start to follow the chain, I have to ask, How much was I worth? (laughs) Did God kick the tires and (laughs) shoot the best offer out? (laughs) Did God do what felt comfortable to him? Or did he bankrupt the bank account and buy the entire field? that if I want to find my worth, I was purchased, what was I purchased with? Whose blood? How much is that worth? Can you put a value on that? So how much are you worth? One time the Lord was dealing with me and he was trying to get me to understand the value of what I had. And he said, Matt, if I sat down and gave you a blank check, what number would you put on it? I said, God, the numbers keep going up. They don't stop. If I was to put a price on it, that means I would undervalue it. So I thought, I guess I'll leave it blank and contemplate throughout all eternity how much I should write on it. (laughs) (laughs) You can't put a price on the kingdom of God. And God didn't put a price on you. Remember we put the pen in Jonah? And they kind of tossed Jonah out. Remember, Jesus was sleeping on the boat like Jonah. But instead of being tossed out of the boat and being the cause of the storm, Jesus was the remedy. And when he was crucified on the cross and put in the grave, he went down, not to the depths of an ocean, but to the depths of hell. 
and cut you loose from your natural habitat, brought you up onto dry ground, opened you up out of the system that you were in, and then found treasure in you that you didn't know you had. See, pearls are entry points. It's how we get in. Say, don't throw pearls before a swine. I'm thinking, well, how'd you get one? <laughs> At one point, <laughs> we, just, we looked on. T- Was it the blind hog can't find an acorn in the. Maybe pearls or. Yeah, I don't know where we're going anymore, but we're going somewhere. Yeah. So, yeah. And in the New Jerusalem, guess what the gates are made out of? Out of how many pearls? One giant pearl. So what gate do we get in? Pearl. That the pearl of great price is our way in. It's our way in. Thanks for tuning in. Our hope is that these messages will help you on your journey of discovering who Christ is and who you are in Him. You can learn more about our ministry at lvahs.org or follow us on Instagram at lakeview.hs.